Welcome to the Andy Staples Show Commissioner Search Edition. I have tossed my name into the ring to be the Pac-12 Commissioner because, hell, $5 million a year sounds great. Getting fired and getting paid $5 million a year to not work sounds even better. And I think I'd be terrible at it, terrible enough to get fired quickly so I could keep getting paid to not work. But my guest probably has some better ideas about who should be the commissioner and definitely about what the Pac-12 needs to do going forward because he covers it better than anyone in the known universe. John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group, he's the one always breaking the news about anything Pac-12 related. And John, uh, what was your your thought when you heard it's it's happening? Larry Scott is out as the Pac-12 commissioner. Uh, they, they you know The presidents have met and they've said, you know, stay on through June. We'll keep paying you through next year, but you got to go. You know, I was surprised at the thing, but not surprised at the result, right? I had kind of figured they got to make a change. I mean, it's just, there's no way they can continue uh, to road for five more years. Uh, but I wasn't necessarily expecting it to happen right now. I had kind of been thinking it would be, you know, deeper in the spring. Um, so they're not paying two commissioners for as long, possibly. And also because, you know, the president's typically meet uh in the spring but they they came to a conclusion and uh you know it's good for the conference that they did it sooner because they can get somebody in they're going to try to have somebody in place by july 1st a little bit quick but that's their goal and the reason for this is the pac-12 is about to be negotiating a new tv deal which by the way is the reason larry scott was brought in from the women's tennis association in the first place he and and let's let's we'll give our our listeners here a little history lesson so larry scott was a genius once. Uh, he was a Harvard-educated <laughs> yes. former pro tennis player who came in following Tom Hansen's long reign as the Pac-10 commissioner and got him a new TV deal. He tried to expand to 16. The okey-doke got pulled on him by Texas AD DeLos Dodds, who at the 11th hour said, hey, you know what? I think we're going to keep our third-tier rights and make our own network. That's cool, right? And Larry Scott said, that is not cool. That was not the deal we made. And so instead of the Pac-16, you yep. got the Pac-12. But you got you got a, a, a deal with Fox and ESPN that at the time set the market. The, the SEC had just made a fairly bad deal during a, an economic collapse, essentially. And so this looked really good. And then once the other deals started coming through, the, the Big Ten, the ACC, the Big 12, the SEC makes another deal, it doesn't look so good. Uh, John, you covered all of this, every twist and turn along the way. How, how did Larry Scott go from being a genius to being a complete punchline by the end? You know, I think he was the right hire at the time. And he executed on, you know, the mission assigned to him by the, the presidents and chancellors at the time, based on the media environment, the, the conference's financial situation. He did what they wanted for those first few years. But then, you know, and that was a busy time for commissioners too, right? Because his first, what, his third or fourth year, they're, they're plotting out the playoff mm -hmm. and realignment has kind of settled down and everybody's got their own conference uh, network. And then we got into this kind of long period where the commissioners aren't really doing big things and they're just kind of being commissioners and there was no new TV deal to, to, to work on. And so... The issues, you know, Scott could never really get football right. He could never get the governance aspect, the administrative aspect of Pac-12 football right. And whether it's an officiating scandal, uh, whether it's 
kept putting his mu- foot in his mouth about something, paying bonuses to the executives right before they, you know, lay people off. He couldn't get that stuff right. And uh, so now we're 12 years, it's been 12 years and, and he's the wrong commissioner for them now, mm-hmm. whereas he was the right one before the times have changed. And, and if you look going forward, you know, as, as you've documented, there are huge changes coming, Yeah, you know, and we can certainly get into this because what you wrote about the other day is certainly, uh, you know, is going to impact the PAC 12 and he is not the right guy right now for the conference going forward. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm curious because everything I've read and everybody I've talked to, it seems like they want someone who has a lot more experience in college sports, which is interesting because college sports is going to look different than what people who've worked in college sports have dealt with because you're going to have players capable of making their own money. You're going to have football transfers where it's going to change that dynamic completely. But why would a person who's been a lifer in, in college sports be the right person right now? You know, I think that the, uh, one of the big frustrations out here that is not always visible to the fans uh, and, and the media is just the the dynamic between the conference office and the campuses, whether it's uh, the trust factor, whether it's, you know, working properly together on on policy. Um, and there have been a lot of issues with that. And I think the, the, the schools, the athletic directors in particular, want someone in place who has been there, done that on the mm-hmm. front lines because they feel like that's going to be a much more honest broker. He's going to have their back. Uh, he's going to represent the conference better when, when he goes and, you know, talks to other commissioners about, about policy. Uh, they just, they're worried that if they hire somebody from the media world, that that person is just not going to get the dynamics of the campuses. And that's an important piece of it. You know, I mean, the SEC is a great example, right? Those schools they trust that Greg Sankey is going to make the best decision for them. Right. Uh, and the Pac-12 does not, has not trusted the conference office. No, it's, it's been truly amazing to me because I, I think there was a period where none of the ADs trusted Larry Scott. He, he always had the, the backing of a couple really important presidents, Michael Crow at Arizona State, Ed Ray at Oregon State. And as long as it felt like as long as he had them, he was okay. And then that started. But I'm, I, I think back to when he threw Dan Guerrero under the bus on the satellite camp thing. And Dan Guerrero, who was the he was the longtime AD at UCLA, the best of the good soldiers. He's always going to carry yes. your water. He he's never going to complain publicly. And you throw the guy under the bus, and it's like, okay, yep. you don't understand the dynamics here. Yeah, that was uh, that was when things began to turn. I want to say that was. 2015, 2016, that was when, when things began to really deteriorate, I think, in terms of uh, the, the trust. You know, there were some other issues uh, at the time w- involving DirecTV and how the conferences, the schools felt like Scott dealt with them mm-hmm. while negotiating with DirecTV. Uh, yeah, it, it just, 
you know, uh, he lost he lost the room, so to speak. Yeah. And there's been a lot of turnover. I mean, uh, either eight or nine of the campuses have had new presidents in the last four years. There's a lot of turnover. And those presidents are all coming into a conference where there is already frustration, where the budget issues are, are problematic, where the, the resources are, are, are light relatively. Wait, wait, so you're, you're, so saying, got, you're saying when the conference network generates enough money per school to buy like an offensive line coach in the SEC, that's not good? No. And, and, and the thing is, it's, it's doubly not good when you have, you know, you're spending all your spending in San Francisco for rent mm-hmm. and you're, you know, you're, you've got a big expense account and your staff is all making $500,000, you know, all those things add up. And it's one thing if you're, you know, he had projected five, 7 million per year per school for that PAC 12 network. And when it's 1.5 instead, those, those other expenses really, really hurt. Yeah. That, that I remember somebody who had been involved in that, with that deal, when it happened, sitting down with me and saying, listen, it sounds good. But I want you to understand, and I don't know how this person did not know how it was going to turn out, but said wholly owning the network, not partnering with an ESPN or with a Fox is a massive risk. And I don't think I understood at the time what that meant. And as time went on and they couldn't get a deal done with DirecTV and they couldn't get subscriber fees up to where the Big Ten network is or the SEC network, is, I started to understand what that meant. Yeah. And is, is that kind yeah. of the original sin for Larry Scott right there? Probably so. I mean, I'm with you. You know, back then, 2010, 11, I didn't understand the sports media space well at all. It hadn't been as big a part of of covering the sport. Uh, And it was a steep learning curve. But clearly, you can look back and see not only did he go at it alone without the leverage that ESPN or Fox would have helped with uh, distributors, but he had seven channels, right? There's six regionals and a national that's hugely expensive. I think at $100 million in expenses every year, right? So <laughs> without DirecTV bringing in the revenue, that's a your margins are slim. Yeah, it's, it, it is truly amazing how that went. And then you, you have the Woody Dixon thing where you've got a, an associate commissioner essentially calling and making a, a replay decision during a game. Like it, it, during a you're, game. You're... So the stuff well, you couldn't make that's up. That's an example. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't. You couldn't make it up. And that's a perfect example, too, I think, of what is impacting uh, some of the sentiment out here now. They set up an officiating process where the general counsel was involved in the replay because they thought, oh, as much feedback as possible is good. So then you got somebody who's not an official as part of the process. Everybody who knows football knows that's a right. bad idea. Right? Can you imagine the SEC doing that? No. But that's well, your, your but, story but about sudden, their their director of officiating's experience officiating was unbelievable. It's like half a season in the MAC in 1996. Yes, that's it. Right. I mean, it's crazy. But those are the decisions that have been made that frustrate the campuses because they're made by someone who doesn't have a background in college sports, doesn't really know college football. Anybody should know that the general counsel shouldn't be in part of the replay review process, but the PAC 12 had set that up and it just, it, you know, that was, you know, that's when things went next level for Scott, that was a dumpster fire. And the, the ADs are like, well, what are we doing here? Well, I'll throw out the thing. I think he could have done three, four years ago that would have helped him a lot that I'd never understood why he didn't do, or, or maybe he tried to do it behind closed doors, but he should have let everybody know if he was doing it publicly. Uh, 
is he should have expand. He should have pushed for an expanded playoff. The the second they were left out in seventeen, he should have said, you know what, I I don't like this. This I, I don't like where this is going. Let's get one of our teams in every year. Let's figure out a way. And he would have found a sympathetic ear in the Big Twelve. He would have found a sympathetic ear in the Big Ten at the time. And I don't understand why he didn't do that. Yeah. I know, and you've written about that eloquently uh, over the last you know year and a half for sure. And why didn't he? Uh, I, I've been told he he nudged behind the scenes, but there was never you know a strategic effort. Uh, I didn't think publicly uh, to do it, and that's an example of where the schools are sitting there wondering: Is he really fighting for us? Yeah. Right? He's not. He didn't go to any of our. Uh, it, he didn't go to school out here. He's not from the West. He, you know, does he really have our back? And that's a source of frustration. When I asked him on that teleconference about why he hadn't pushed for that, and I think that was when they decided to come back and play in, in 2020, that they, they were doing their return to play stuff. I had a Pac-12 head coach text me five seconds later going, good question. So that you're right about the, the the campus level, and and I, I think that's the disconnect that people who pay attention to functional conferences don't understand. Like the Big Ten, for all its dysfunction over the past summer, they're in constant contact with their campuses. They're always canvassing. How do we do this? How can we do this better? Uh, what happened last summer was was the anomaly in the Big Ten. Uh, the ACC, yep. they're always doing that. The SEC, you just mentioned, they're they're like that. The Big Twelve, there's there's constant communication. It never felt like it was two-way communication with the Pac-12. Well, there wasn't because Scott, for the first six or eight years of his tenure, didn't involve the athletic directors. You know, the presidents basically gave him the keys to the kingdom and he dealt with them and everything else was, he was in charge of everything else. And the ADs were not involved in policymaking and they were pushed to the back burner for many, many years. And the result was some bad policy. There's no question about that. Lately, they've been involved a little bit more, and some are cynical and said they only got involved because Scott thought his job was on the line. Uh, but it's way it's way too late. Too much damage uh, was done. Yeah, it, so he he's out. They're now looking for the next person. Who do you think would be a good candidate for this? I've seen five or six names that, that keep getting thrown out. Which, which names have you seen that you think would be good fits? It depends on whether they want to go with a traditional hire, somebody from college athletics, or if they want to go straight from the sports media industry. If they're going straight from Fine. sports TV, I I'll, think- I'll do it, John. I, you, you don't have to beat around go. the bush. I'll do it. Five million bucks yeah. a year sounds great to me. <laughs> and you can do it remotely. Um, <laughs> you know, I, Randy Freer, who is the former head of Fox Sports, I mm -hmm. think would probably be uh, their first choice if it's, if they're going straight from the media world. And, and that's who um, they hired as their consultant- to essentially look they for Larry Scott's replacement. Oh, they were going to. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know for sure that they actually did that. But yes, he was. He was number one on their list as a as a consultant. Yes, and uh, you know he ran Hulu, and he you know he knows the the West Coast, and he negotiated the Pac-12 deal in 2011. He would be the probably the first pick if they go from the media sports media world. If it's a more traditional pick. You know, uh, I, I think that they'll look at some of the ADs, some of the big name ADs, especially the ones that have been on a Pac-12 campus. I think it's really important for them 
to get somebody who knows what what's what out here because it's that, different out and here. And that doesn't necessarily mean current Pac-12 ADs because Gene Smith was oh. Arizona State's athletic yep. director. Uh, he's at Ohio State right now, Alabama AD. Greg Byrne was at Arizona and also worked at the Oregon schools, grew yep. up out in Oregon. So uh, yeah, it, it, there are people who've been at those places. Yep. Uh, Desiree Reed Francois, UNLV, was a, a you know UCLA rower. Uh, Gloria Navarez, yep. the West Coast Conference Commissioner, she's been at the Pac-12. She was at the Pac-12 office for a, yes. a time, yeah. wasn't about she? About eight years, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, it, they got options with experience. It's it's just what do they want and who do they think I guess can can get them that TV money? Yeah, I mean, I think that they should at least make a call to Bob Boldsby and see if former Stanford he wants AD. to come back. Yeah, former Stanford AD. Maybe he's tired of dealing with Texas. <laughs> I think Texas has calmed down. I think Texas and Oklahoma are being nice to him now. So he might not <laughs> want to leave. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. This is one thing I always thought was an unfair criticism of Larry Scott, because I, I, there's nothing, at least I feel, he could have done about this. How do you make people care about Oregon State football, Washington State football, uh, you know, Oregon, Washington, USC, those those campuses, those fan bases care a ton. But, how, you know, Arizona State, all these other places, how do you yep. make them care like they care in the Big Ten and the SEC? It's not You can't wave a magic wand and make that happen. No, absolutely. Fan affinity is a huge deal. Now, the devil's advocate would say, well, he should have known that and not set up seven different <laughs> yes, networks for the Pac-12 network, right? Um, but no, that, that's very true. And that's been a problem. And, and I think it's more of a problem lately because of the lack of their version of Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio state, right? Yep. There's, you know, parody is not necessarily great for getting in the playoff or for packing stadiums when the opponent comes to town. I mean, every stadium out here was packed when USC came to town 15 years ago. Right. So the, the the lack of a heavyweight program, I think, is is has hurt their the overall affinity. But you're right; that's not his fault, and and to a certain extent, the you know USC not being mm-hmm. USC is yep. not his fault either. Yeah, and I think what's going on at Oregon now is is helping because I think they are on the verge of being a year in year out really good program. You know, we'll see what happens with USC because it's even if they decide to make a change on on Clay Helton down the road, they, they've not dropped that far. Like they could turn around yeah. immediately and and be good. So I feel like if the right person comes in kind of at the right moment, let's say Oregon wins the wins the league and makes the playoff and you know makes the national title game, all of a sudden it could look completely different. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about what the ACC would have been like without Clemson these oh. last eight years, oh, right? Disaster. I mean, yeah. that's. Yeah, disaster. Or, or you know, Big 12 without Oklahoma. I mean, that's kind of what's going on out here without SC being what it was under under Pete Carroll. And and there's certainly – the Trojans could get it turned around quickly. Uh, Oregon certainly could compete. Washington, too. Uh, but that's really – that's what they need. But at the same time – and this gets back to the Pac-12 being the Pac-12. They do make things difficult on themselves. You know, the scheduling – some of the scheduling issues that they've had, uh, you know f- – with football makes it tougher and that gets back are, are to the you, playoff issue. Are you saying that you shouldn't have some of your best teams play 12 straight games with no open date? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or, or playing on the road on Saturday and then on the road on Friday, you know, uh, but those, and those are examples 
not only does did, did Scott not have a background in college sports and college football, he surrounded himself with people who didn't either. His football administrator for all those years was a general counsel for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you know, the the head of officiating has officiated two games, right? They he didn't surround himself with any kind of expertise, and so it was just one problem after another. Yeah, it is. It is amazing that it got to that point, and and it, great fodder for you and and. I'm oh. amazed by the the level of reporting you've done on this league, and people still talk to you, because you haven't. Now there there are other folks in the media industry who have opined a lot as, as this has gone on, and, and kind of bashed them and danced on on them a lot. You've not. You've just said, "Here's what's happening, and here's what happens next." How do you get them still talking to you when you keep having to deliver bad news? <laughs> Um, well, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of crossing your fingers and sending a lot of texts and making a lot of calls and hope that somebody will throw you a lifeline, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, it, but they certainly, uh, you know, I do try to, when I think that they've done something right, I, I write that, you know, I thought they did a good job with the pandemic over the summer. They had they, some issues once football started, but they did a good job well, over the summer. If you, if you look at the way they handled it versus the way the big 10 handled it, there was so much more alignment in the Pac-12. And, and I said the yep. same thing at the, same, at, at the time. You know, if we're going to bash Larry Scott for, for everything else, we got to praise him for this because it does yep. seem like they had a better handle on this. When you listen to them talk, you understood where they were coming from, whereas in the Big Ten with a, a first-year commissioner, Kevin Warren, they didn't quite have the messaging down. But No, I, and they weren't as transparent. Right. But I do. Th it, it is interesting because I, I do think the Larry Scott, you know, other half creeps in again because I'm not sure they play again if USC players don't send that letter to the governor. Uh, I don't think that they would have. That really tipped the tipped the scales, right? It got the issue very public. There was they they got the daily testing the Thursday before Labor Day weekend, and then there was you know two weeks where they just were kind of sitting there. And if it had been the Big Ten, they would have been, you know, busting their butts yeah, let's go. to do everything possible. Let's go. Uh, instead, it was more like, yeah, we can't really deal with the restrictions, so we're just going to kind of wait. And they lost valuable time. There's no doubt about that. Would, well, would if things have been different if they had a, a commissioner who, you know, was a college football guy? Maybe. Well, they have time now, and they're looking they for do. a new one. And I have a feeling I know who is going to tell us the name of that person once they have hired him. It's going to be John Wilder. So, John, thank you so much for for joining us and and, and providing some knowledge. I, I love talking to great reporters about how they how they still manage to talk to people even when they got to deal with bad news all the time because it is an art to what you do. Thank you a ton, Andy. I appreciate it very much. And, and thanks for having me. It's been great. I love talking about the issues like this. All right. Thanks a lot, John.